3: Jay Moran will stop by a little bit later at the Community Music School as they prepare to move into a new facility. We'll look at that. He'll wander around, take you on a trip of sorts later in the program. But first, I'd like to bring in Tamika Murphy and Mia Mutri. They are with the MMB Realty Group. And part of the reason why we thought it would be very interesting to have the two of you in here is you are the first all-female, all-black-owned realty company. In the Greater Buffalo area, that's kind of neat. Why, why is that your focus? How did that happen? Hi. First of all, welcome. For thanks for being here, by the way. Welcome.
5: Oh, uh, thank you for having us, Dave. Uh, so myself, Tamika, and Rosalind, uh, we started our company during the pandemic. Uh, crazy enough, we mm-hmm. started during the pandemic. Uh, that's and-
3: Rosalind Bergen, who's not here, but uh, part of the firm. She's she's the B in the MMB. Yes, okay. yes,
5: yes, she is. Uh, so our reason for starting was so that we could educate our clients on uh being homeowners. We saw that there was this uh, great divide where there was a a larger percentage of non minority homeowners versus um African American homeowners mm-hmm. and we wanted to um to help increase those numbers. Mm-hmm.
3: And you did it during the pandemic. That's interesting to me, too.
6: We did it during the pandemic. Um, It was interesting to us at the time (laughs) um, with, you know, all of our fears, and we just decided it was time. Um, We've been educating the communities um, for a number of years prior, um, and we just figured, you know, now is the time during the pandemic, and we did it.
3: I want to pick up on what you said about uh, home ownership. Mm -hmm. University of Buffalo, in their their groundbreaking study, The Harder We Run, crunched some numbers and found that on the east side of Buffalo, and and we'll talk in a little bit, by the way, your reach goes all the way from Lockport to Derby, so I don't want to put you exclusively in the east side box. But if we're talking about home ownership, on the east side of Buffalo, only 37% of blacks own their own home. That's a huge number to me.
5: Yeah, and, and we agree. And that's what we saw when we were doing our research about starting uh, M&B Realty Group. Uh, we wanted to increase those numbers, and we found the way to do that is to, to educate, to educate, to do home ownership seminars. We do those twice a year. Uh, we just had one in September, and we plan to do um, another one in February of 2023.
3: And you contend that anyone who rents can buy a home? Oh, for sure. Really?
5: Absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, right now, we're looking at average rent prices uh, about $1,200 right now compared to a few years ago where the average rent price in Buffalo was probably about $600. Half that amount, correct. Wow.
3: So mortgages can be less than a payment to a landlord.
5: Oh, for sure. Uh, myself, Tamika, and Raz have helped clients go from paying $1,200, $1,300 a month for rent to having a mortgage that's seven or $800.
3: Talk about the availability of property, though. There's probably a lot of vacant houses on the east side, um, vacant lots, certainly. Is there an availability of houses to buy, or are they pretty much all, again, in the hands of the landlord, he asks rhetorically?
5: So I say that you have to have uh, HGTV eyes. So when you're watching HGTV, you want this grandiose house. You want a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house, right? So um, you don't start out with that. You kind of work toward that. Mm -hmm. I don't
3: want the four-bedrooms, but it's got to have the jacuzzi on the back. Oh, for sure, (laughs) for sure.
5: Um, So, yeah, everyone wants the four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house, but – we try to educate our clients is that, you know, first you want to be a homeowner and then you want to work toward the four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house, right? Yeah. Yeah. That first house doesn't have to be your forever home. Yeah,
6: so it's kind of like you have to cross, start somewhere before sure. you take off running. And like Mia said, um, you know, you, you have your first home, sometimes your second and third before you reach your forever home because it's all a work in progress, and that's what we try to get our clients to understand, that, you know, you may not get this. Grand home, but you have something that you can build equity into and work towards getting that forever home.
3: And that's just it. If you're owning it, the equity is in your pocket, not in a landlord's pocket. Correct. You can build equity that way. Correct. Anyone who rents can own a home, even if they have horrible, awful credit.
5: Horrible, awful credit. And horrible, awful credit could be, it's relative, right? So, um, my six hundred credit score is not equal to your six hundred credit score, Dave. Uh, it just depends. Explain on... that.
3: I thought numbers were numbers.
5: Numbers are numbers, but numbers can uh, mean different things. So
3: how I got my six hundred is different than how you got your six hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly.
6: So, so my six hundred may not come, from, you know, from not paying bills on time. Whereas yours may be, you know, you're delinquent on quite a few bills. Mine may be I just don't have enough credit or I haven't had um, Um, a credit card or any bills in my name. Okay. So that's how the banks look at it. And that's how we look at it to, you know, make that comparison.
3: How do you help a uh, prospective homeowner transcend that, though? Uh, I walk in the door with a lousy credit score. What happens next? Take me through the process.
5: So we have we sit down and we talk to each one of our buyers to get an understanding um, as to where they are with their credit score, with their finances. And then um, because we've been doing this for quite a long time, we can direct them to different programs, whether or not they need to have uh, closing cost assistance or whether or not they need to have credit repair. There's a lot of different programs that are out there that can assist depending on where they are in the process. Mm
3: -hmm. Is there right now... Um, a glut of homes is it a buyer's market is it a seller's market talk about what you're seeing in that regard
6: I'm seeing a real estate market. <laughs> okay. I'm seeing a real estate market. And um, what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you hear um, you hear people saying, oh, it's a seller's market. The houses are going for, you know, an astronomical amount. Um, and then, you know, when they don't go that far, then it's a buyer's market. You know, there's a house out there for any and everyone that wants to purchase
3: It a depends, home. again, on whether they've it, got the HGTVI. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. It
6: depends.
3: All right. Mia Mutri is here and Tamika Murphy there with the MMB Realty Group. We're talking about real estate trends. And again, I I don't want to put anyone in the box of the east side because you you said earlier, you you cover all the way from Lockport to Derby. But I think within the confines of this program, we've sort of established the precedent that we're looking at some of the issues that haven't been addressed uh, before the top shooting that now have bubbled to the surface. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about... The East Side, in particular, and the challenges that they're facing right now, either from a real estate perspective or just more broadly.
5: So, for the East Side of Buffalo, there's definitely um, been uh, they've been left behind, right? Um, as far as real estate, just as far as jobs, as far as education. Um, but what we're seeing um, going forward is is that um, ourself, MMB Realty Group, along with the City of Buffalo. We've partnered together to um, to do some single-family houses, uh, infill projects to fill in those vacant lots on the east side of Buffalo.
3: What uh, Explain, what is an infill project? What does that look like?
5: So right now, the, uh, the lot could be vacant or there could be a, a dilapidated uh, house on the land. What the city of Buffalo is doing is they're partnering together with uh, local banks, and they are building uh, new single-family homes. On, on vacant those, lots on those vacant oh, lots cool. yeah okay. and we're seeing that um in several areas uh, throughout the east side of buffalo
3: will it ever reach a point where the available stock changes do landlords hold on to property and and always be rental property
5: uh, so there's always going to be that supply and demand right that you see uh so when the supply is low prices are high when the price when the um, supply is high then prices will be low Mm -hmm. so that's just a a economics part of it Um, I see that there's always going to be the um, the need for people to own homes in the city of Buffalo
3: is there a stigma and I don't want to say even on the east side but in the city if I'm a suburban guy looking for a starter home I'm gonna get more bang for my buck if I look at the city but I also wonder if there isn't an attitudinal uh, issue that has to be overcome there. I'm not going to live in the city. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Talk about that.
6: There. So, go ahead. Go ahead, Tamika. Um, I was going to say there. There is. There is that stigma because when you're looking at the East Side, you have so many, um, so many people that has grown up in the East Side, um, and as as we see, um, there's a lot of trauma in the east side, trauma filled on different areas of, you know, the east side. So as as a lot of people start to grow up, their their first instinct is to move out into the sub- suburbs. Sure. So when we have housing prices um, that most people aren't used to seeing on the east side when houses on certain in certain areas are going for hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, you know, we have potential homeowners, um, home buyers that you know, wouldn't necessarily want to live in the areas that they grew up in right. because they've seen so much and they, they've seen what has happened to the area, but they, they're they not looking um, to see what is happening into right. the what it area, could be. what it could be. Does right. that yeah. then
3: limit your pool of potential buyers if people are not necessarily, with a big asterisk, necessarily willing to move into the city? Does that mean your pool... Are those people that already live on the east side that already talk about the amazing sense of community there? That 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 there's a vibrancy and something they want to be a part of on the east side.
5: So, for me, um, I lived in the suburbs mm-hmm. until just a few years ago, and because of everything that's happening within the city of Buffalo, I wanted to come back and be a part of the city of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So. I'm seeing that a lot of Millennials are feeling the same way um, like we talked uh, Dave earlier how you moved away and you came back there's a yeah, lot of people yeah. that I went to school with who moved away and now they've, they're coming back mm-hmm. because there's so much happening in the city of Buffalo yeah. and whether or not they move on the east side or whether or not they move uh, to North Buffalo or South Buffalo they're starting to see the value because you can go to other places where uh, rent could be $2,000 a month, right? Oh, heck yeah. And oh, any yeah. of the
3: lofts downtown, mm-hmm. you're, you're approaching that benchmark.
5: Right. And But when you come back to the city of Buffalo, you can still take that $2,000 a month that you were spending in D.C. or that you were spending mm-hmm. in Virginia, and you can purchase a house for your family that you can begin to build generational wealth. Yeah.
3: Do you end up having to market against the stigma though? Um, the story you just told. You used to live in the suburbs, wanted to move into the city. How often do you have to explain to people that that has value.
7: Every day. (laughs) Really? Every day.
6: Every day is a conversation of what's happening in Buffalo. And it takes us, myself, Mia, Rosalind, and all of our agents at M&B to do that research because we're out here in different communities. So we see the difference. We hear, you know, we hear people talking, we sit in community meetings, so we see what's happening and we see the value. So for those of our clients that's not necessarily out there at these community events and meetings, they don't necessarily know What's taking place or what's about to happen? So again, we it's our job to not only sell homes but to educate as to far, sell the community to, exactly.
3: How do you do that? What do you say?
6: Um, we just, I mean, Mia Mia will explain it best, and I always say she's the expert on her wording with that. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I don't know if I'm the expert, but um, I just put it from the perspective of uh, the value, mm-hmm. right? Yeah there's you have to see value in the community that you're purchasing in so I'm not going to necessarily steer a person to the east side or the north side of Buffalo Um, I'm just going to show them the value in each one of them okay right and so uh, like we said earlier there's a house for everyone yeah yeah so do you see the value in living on the east side of Buffalo do you see the value in living on the north side of Buffalo how far are your dollars going to go in each one of these areas yeah. and yeah. then you make the determination on on where you live. And then
6: of course numbers matter. So we we show them the numbers. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
3: I was a I grew up a suburban kid, but my family has roots in the Clinton Babcock area and on the most recent sale my grandfather's house I think went for 40,000. There's no way I could I could get a house for 40,000 right now in some of the suburban areas, but on that street it's a possibility.
5: I don't know about that. No? $40,000 sounds really low. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, All yeah. Right. Um, there was a a home just the other day um, that was up on the market for $80,000 that had no no walls.
3: <laughs> Seriously?
5: Yes. Yeah, so wow. Gone are the days of $40,000 okay. houses. Uh, th-
3: this was a sale, I think, about five years ago that oh, I yeah. recall. Yeah.
5: Yeah. 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 Five uh-huh. years ago. Um when we're looking at it now, I wish I had purchased a house uh, for $40,000 five mm-hmm. years ago. Because now you'd be making Now money. I'm mm-hmm. kicking myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, we're, you're not seeing $40,000 houses. But you, you are seeing uh, probably eighty to to $100,000 mm-hmm. houses, depending on what area of the city you're purchasing yeah. in.
3: I have to be blunt. And I, I don't do this uh, to stereotype, and I don't do this to be mean. But I think it's an important part of the conversation. You said the sales pitch involves prices. At some point, though, do you have to deal with race? Do you have to deal with stereotypes? Oh, I don't want to live in the city. I'll get shot. That kind of stuff. Does it come up?
5: Uh, So as a real estate agent, um, those things do come up, but it's not something that I necessarily um, will say live in live in this neighborhood or don't live in this neighborhood because of the fear of being shot, you have to make that determination. You as right. the buyer have to All determine. Right. But
3: if if I'm generally averse to the city mm-hmm. and you've just convinced me that the numbers work better for me if I buy a home somewhere in the city, mm-hmm. how do you overcome other things that aren't part of the financial argument?
5: Just having a conversation, taking that person uh, through the neighborhood so that mm-hmm. they can see uh, what it's like and I always suggest to a person to to go in at different times mm-hmm. of the of the day right uh, what kind of traffic is there yeah. um, at eight o'clock in the morning versus when everyone is off from work oh cool mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so um see, ultimately see
3: the neighborhood at yeah. ground level yeah, yeah. And, I,
6: and and like Mia said three times and the morning afternoon and at night, because, you know, your morning may be different than that nightlife in the summertime or, you know, the afternoon on a Saturday if you're looking for a kid environment. You know, you, kids will be out playing in the middle of the summer in the morning or your the afternoon. So I, I 100% agree with that three times. All right.
3: What about education? Uh, I think people probably look at housing um, through the lens of, The school system. Mm -hmm. If I'm moving to Alma, East Aurora, Darien, the first thing I'm going to do is probably go to that business first book and find out how good the schools are.
6: And nine times out of ten, when when buyers come to us, they know what they've already done their research on what school district they would like to be in. So that isn't really a huge conversation that we have with a lot of buyers because they're they're familiar with the school districts before and they've already done that that
3: research. And it's not really a variable that you can change. You can right. you can address their you can overcome their objections. You can do your sale based on numbers mm-hmm. and neighborhoods, but that's one that's already on the table. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay. And I myself grew up in the, the city of Buffalo. I went to Hutch Tech High School. There are good schools oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. the city of Buffalo. And uh, I feel like it's about uh, parent involvement. How much involvement do you have as the parent um, is going to dictate what your child gets out of it? So Mm -hmm. a city school versus a suburban school is all about what you put into it. Yeah.
3: I think, though, too, uh, it it goes kind of to our earlier conversation. There are stereotypes. Hotch Tech is great. City Honors is great. Mm -hmm. But the narrative has become, oh, God, Buffalo Public Schools? Are you kidding? Mm Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, and that's coming from the people who aren't necessarily uh, involved. involved in the city of Buffalo schools. There are some good schools, just like there's some bad schools. But, yeah. again, I think it goes back to uh, that parent involvement and mm-hmm. and being there, seeing it from a, a day-to-day basis.
3: That's Mia Mutri. And she's here with Tamika Murphy. They're both part of MMB Realty Group, a women-owned, person of color, realty firm in Buffalo, uh, as far as we know, the only one that can check off both of those boxes. Interesting conversation to come. We'll be back right after this. I want When we return, I want to look at specific numbers, the housing market, some of the trends, some of the things you're seeing here that sort of define Buffalo. We'll do that when we return. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.
0: Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and from New Day Live, presenting Ray LaMontagne, Saturday, November 5th, at Shays Buffalo Theatre for the MonoVision Tour with special guest Lily Miola. Ticket information at shays.org or ticketmaster.com. Ray LaMontagne Live, Saturday, November 5th, at Shays Buffalo. Watch the WNED-PBS original production,
1: Canadian Rockies by Rail. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome
0: aboard the Rocky Mountaineer. See We like to talk
1: about trying to create life-changing experiences. Canadian Rockies by rail, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Support for the WBFO Disability Desk is sponsored by the Peter and Elizabeth C. Tower Foundation. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at News at WBFO.
3: This is WBFO's Buffalo's What's Next program. Good morning, I'm Dave Debo. We're talking with two women here from MMB Realty Group. To the best of our knowledge, they're the first all female, all black owned realty company in the Buffalo area. Mia Mutri is here. Tamika Murphy is here, uh, is here, and uh, let's get into the market. Let's get into some of the numbers. Is there a trend that defines Western New York real estate right now, or, or again, is it more of a, a neighborhood by neighborhood, region by region kind of thing? Overall, is there something that's driving your business, or not driving it? If you see what I'm saying, are, are interest rates a factor? Is it is it um, is it perhaps the availability of homes? What's, what's trend number one, regardless of what neighborhood I'm talking about?
5: So earlier we talked about uh, value, uh, people seeing value in the neighborhoods. So uh, the one trend that we're seeing is a lot of investors uh, from other areas are purchasing um, investment property within the, uh, the city of Buffalo. So they're seeing value where we don't necessarily see it. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people coming from New York City where the rents are three, $4,000 a month mm-hmm. for like a little cracker Jack, yeah. cracker Jack box house. Um, and now they're able to purchase these eighty or or $100,000 houses that we talked about earlier. So they're able to see value in our neighborhoods where we didn't necessarily see them before. And when I say our, I mean the city of Buffalo is our. sure. Um, Western New York, yeah. Yeah, where we were like, oh, no, we don't want to live on the east side of Buffalo or we don't want to live on the west side of Buffalo. Like, those houses are only $40,000, but now those $40,000 houses are now $80,000 houses. Or more. Or more, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you could see $200,000 houses now. Um, But, again, it goes back to that value, being able to see value in a particular neighborhood. So someone from the outside that's paying $3,000 a month can come in and have a whole entire house for their family, along with a backyard mm-hmm. and a fence. And mm. we we're talking about the HGTV eyes, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're, they're excited because now they went from this apartment to having a single-family single home. home with a fence and a backyard for their entire family a to A place play for in. the dog and yeah. the kids. Yeah, yeah
3: all that. Yeah. How long do houses stay on the market locally? I've seen articles that talk about some things being sold sight unseen. Uh-huh. People will just see a listing and say, I want that. Here's my offer before they even set foot in the house. Yeah. Well, I,
6: I think that was more so um, pandemic and, and the beginning of the pandemic. OK, we had, that does and, make sense. And we had a lot of um, people wanting to purchase homes because, of again, the interest rates were, you know, at, at a record low. We were in, what, 2%? <laughs> 2 percent, yeah. sometimes 3 percent. Um, so. That happened more so during the ban- ban- pandemic and in the pandemic where you had um, hundreds of people purchasing home site unseen without home inspections and you know just going in. Once um, the pandemic and I'm not gonna say it ended because we're yeah, technically I still we're technically <laughs> still there um, it, that kind of quiet it down a little you know
3: what is the is there even an average time on market locally?
5: There is. So mm-hmm. uh, those houses that are uh, completely updated, we're still seeing uh, multiple offers on those houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, those houses are probably staying on the market for about a week. Mm-hmm. and That's short. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, about a week. And then the houses that uh, need a little bit more work, mm-hmm. those are probably staying on for two to three weeks. Yeah. Uh, they're still selling. They're just not selling as quickly as they were, say, two to three months ago when mm-hmm. interest rates were at a record low.
3: Did the pandemic uh, depress sales or, or again, was it that sight unseen, quick darn, I want to get it now uh, mentality?
5: I feel like the pandemic just kind of um, brought out people are sick of sitting in their dining room or yeah. sick of staring at those four walls and now they're realizing that their house is a lot smaller mm-hmm. than they thought. So that pent up I want to go and purchase mm-hmm. something. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. I I now need to have a an office to work in because I'm I'm stuck in the house. So, um and then a lot of people moved um either to the area or out of the area mm-hmm. because now you can work remotely.
3: You've mentioned that you look at a lot of different areas. Um what's hot right now? What is the market, the neighborhood, the the town that is seeing the most growth, the most uh the hot market right now?
5: So I'm seeing a lot of people moving from the suburbs into the city of Buffalo. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people are selling their suburban houses to move to the city of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not it be the east side, west side, north side, south side, they're moving to the city. Really?
3: Okay. Yeah. I
5: and,
6: and I think the pandemic kind of hyped that, too. Um, you yeah, know, More exercise. More, yeah.
5: Um, they Just something walkable. Exactly. Sure. Yeah.
3: Neighborhoods are important to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walkable, livable neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, granted, there are some that want the big spread with the farm, perhaps. Right. But I think that, that sense of community with a sidewalk up front yeah. Is, yeah. is a motivator. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. Definitely. Let's talk about interest rates. Where are they going? What are you seeing?
5: I can't tell you where they're going. Oh, um. come on! Give me. A- <laughs> Why not?
3: Well, we don't know. You know, interest, yeah, yeah.
6: interest rates change daily, and you know that's not really it. A- area of our expertise, we kind of leave that up to, the, to loan, the, the the mortgage brokers, the loan officers. So those change daily. But right now we're at a 6% um, interest rate. So we're kind of we've been there for about a month or two now. So, you know,
3: does it drive the calculations that potential buyers make, though? Obviously, if if they have budgeted for this particular home at a, a certain amount per month, the interest rate's going to going to screw that and change that.
6: Yeah. So I will say when those interest rates changed, um, we had a number of buyers who were in the process of, of searching for a home. Um, however, when those rates changed in that one day, it kind of eliminated uh, eliminated a lot of those buyers out of the market and priced them out because of the budgets of where they were.
3: This might be a little far afield because obviously you folks are into home ownership and selling homes. But something that's always sort of made me question things, it seems as if there are a lot of developers that are building a lot of apartments in and around downtown Buffalo, more than I think I would imagine there is a market for. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a matter of, Hey, if I can build the great shiny apartment over here, I don't care whether there's a market. I'm just stealing from that guy over there who doesn't have the great shiny one. Mm-hmm. Is it developer against developer, or do you really see a market for downtown living right now?
5: Oh, there's definitely a need for for downtown living. Like you said, people want that walkable community, right, close to everything that you uh, like to do or, or want to do. So the closer you are to the water, okay, <laughs> right, um, yeah. the better the better people feel like uh, things are going to be.
3: Even with the amount of new space that's being developed, though, it seems like every time you open the paper, there's there's some new building that is now all apartments.
5: But think about the—for um, so long in the city of Buffalo, the housing stock was uh, older. Mm-hmm. Like, we're looking at houses that were built in 1918, 1930. Um, there were— uh, Probably about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was that new development downtown, right? Mm -hmm. So we're saying newer houses are 1995 and, you know, younger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 94 is when they started. Yeah, Yeah. so um, you're starting to see more development happening and people who are coming in from other cities, like they've moved away and come back. So they're used to seeing new shiny things with lots of amenities, Whereas uh, some of the Buffalo apartments didn't necessarily have that. Yeah. So,
6: so it's where update is, is what we say in real estate, they're updating Buffalo. <laughs>
3: okay, <You know? laughs> I can see it. Yeah. Does that rental market, that demand for downtown living, in some way influence or change the seller's market? Um, how, how are those two interrelated?
5: So if you're able to afford that uh, shiny new, rental property that's yeah. seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars a month right and you pay for that seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars a month it
3: gives you a heck of a selling pitch when you can say mm-hmm.
5: yes you were able to afford yeah. that this, apartment yeah. right so there's no reason why you can't afford to purchase a home and have the white picket fence and the four bedroom two and a half mm-hmm. half house um for less money mm-hmm. nine times out of ten is going to be less money right and you talked about um we talked about the interest rates being at six percent. That's still uh, relative to what's happening um, out in the market. When I bought my first house, probably 30 years, and I'm probably dating myself, but 30 years ago, the interest rates were closer to 7 or 8% at that mm-hmm. time. So I was very happy to, to get into a house, mm-hmm. even with the interest rates being as high as they are, because uh, things are relative. So um, are you going to... Wait to purchase a house because the interest rates are going up, but your landlord is still going up on your rent. You can definitely afford to purchase a house if you can afford to rent.
6: So what I say too, and I tell my buyers is that um, rent is a a hundred percent, whereas purchasing a home is a six percent interest rate. Rent is at that hundred percent interest. I see it. You know, so it, it just depends on how you look at the numbers.
3: Is this the kind of stuff you go through? You you said you do homeowner education. Mm -hmm. Take me through one of those classes. What what does that consist of?
5: So it's like... uh I get excited talking about uh, <laughs> <laughs> our seminar. So it's almost like going to Walmart where everything is in one place. Mm-hmm. So um, like how we talked about someone, someone's um, credit score may be lower than another person. Someone may not have uh, the financing to be able to purchase the um, the house. Mm-hmm. So we have someone that's there that's going to help you with closing cost assistance. Someone that's going to help you with repairing your credit. Someone that's going to um, a bank that's there that's going to be able to provide you with mm-hmm. The prequalification to be able to purchase the house, yeah.
6: and a number of banks, not just one. We like to give our um, potential clients or home home buyers, um, future home buyers, options. So our last seminar um, that we had, we had about eight different banks there because everyone was offering something different as far as closing costs and who can work with those that have lower credit scores compared to those who you know may want the higher credit scores, or you know, there's a program out there um, that helps with. Um, credit, but they have a low interest rate, which is um, NACA. You know, um, we also have home inspectors, we have attorneys to go over the legal aspects, we have insurance agencies. So, when you're coming into one of our seminars, you have that, like Mia said, that one stop shop where everything is in that one room. And, you know, we have agents there. We're there to answer any questions that they may have to move forward. So it's a process from A to Z when coming to our seminars. So.
3: How is demand for the seminars? Do you have to do a lot of outreach to get people to realize that this is even something that could work for them?
6: When we started about eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, um, our and I, I get excited now, <laughs> so our very first <laughs> seminar, you know, it was definitely hard to get, you know, people out. In our very first seminar, we had between 10 to 12 people. Our second seminar, it grew a little. We had 60 people. And then after maybe about four or five years, six years, we've done those seminars. So our last few seminars, we've had over 200 people register and uh, maybe about 160, 170 actually come to attend the seminars.
3: Mia, you've mentioned before the program that you do a lot of work in Niagara Falls. Uh Contrast the two cities, Buffalo and Niagara Falls. What's going on in each one right now, real estate-wise?
5: So when I compare Niagara Falls and the city of Buffalo, um, Niagara Falls to me is one of those areas that's up and coming, Mm -hmm. where the city of Buffalo has already come up, per se, right? Um, uh, Niagara Falls has that older housing stock, but the houses have good bones, and Tamika hates when I say good bones. <laughs> but a house that has good bones has, uh, you know, like the, the newer roof yeah. or the uh, the foundation. newer furnace. Right. Great foundation. An old
3: house, but, but the essentials are there. Correct. Strong, strong foundation. And
5: you can, you can build that house up into what you want it to be, right? So it just may need some cosmetic work. Mm-hmm. But the bones of the house are good so that it's not something that's going to be a money pit to you.
3: Mm-hmm. And- I think the stereotype is that Niagara Falls is still a lot more economically depressed than Buffalo, but that could very well be opportunity. opportunity. A house would be cheaper there, no?
5: For sure, for sure. And uh, just like with any city, there's uh, good areas and uh, not so good areas. Um, I've had quite a few clients purchase in Niagara Falls, and they're they're happy. Mm-hmm. Mm. They're happy. Like they're they're still calling us. Uh, to talk about how excited they were to move to Niagara Falls. And we as Buffalonians think, oh, Niagara Falls is so far because it's a 30-minute drive. But when you live um, somewhere else, you could be in traffic for 30 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Buffalo, traffic is probably 10 minutes and we're still upset.
3: Okay. The reason I had you both here, obviously, is to talk about real estate. But I think the premise of this program also is to look at some of the needs and some of the issues on the east side, especially after the TOPS shooting. Uh, each in turn, Tamika, we'll start with you. Mm-hmm. How has the top shooting changed things, either in a general sense or within the confines of the realty discussion we've been having?
6: So um, I do see um, our uh, communities coming together more um, on the east side, especially in the area of where the Jefferson, you know, shooting has been. I am finding more people that's looking to open more businesses in that area. And they're not where where we were four or five years ago, where there was uh, a lot of people who necessarily didn't want to live in that area. They're now looking to purchase more so in that area to be able to build Um, communities and build houses and, you know, home ownership in that area. So um, the top shooting, as tragic as it was, I do see, you know, the city of good neighbors coming together to build it back up bigger and stronger.
3: Maybe it's just my own personal white ignorance, but in the discussions I've had with people about the shooting, about the east side, um, I was not aware of the strong pre-existing sense of community. That was there. I think now it's just getting a little more attention, no?
6: Yeah. It was there for the people that frequent that community and that lived in that community. Um, Once this tragic thing happened, then you have, you know, many coming to help out and many, you know, that are now aware of what we've known for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, their presence are a big help. But I will say those that lived in that community, they've always known how strong that community has been. And, you know, will continue to be even when, you know, these other companies or, you know, these other communities leave out. They will continue to be that strong community.
3: Mia, how about you? Same question. What has changed?
5: Uh, For me, uh, myself and Tamika, we actually went to Tops just the other day, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was very somber. Um, and what's changed is is that there's a lot of companies that are pouring money into uh, the Jefferson Avenue area, mm-hmm. uh, but my hope is that um, that's long-lasting, that it's not something that just kind of uh, is a fleeting moment. Um, there's a, a need. We talked about education. There's a need to um, educate our children educate our community, um, and there has to be that financial aspect that's behind um, the Hamlin Park Jefferson um, avenue area. There has to be, or mm-hmm. else you know everything else doesn't matter.
3: Do right. either of you see, and I've only got about a minute left here, mm-hmm. uh, do either of you see the potential for more integration uh how How do you get someone from the suburbs to consider? moving into the east side?
6: Um, I think their mind is already made up by the time they've reached out to us about moving from the suburbs. Um, That's a big jump. So when you have a lot of people that are in the suburbs and they've already done their research on moving to the east side of Buffalo, they've already visited certain communities and certain areas on the east side of Buffalo. So they know which areas they would like to You know, so it's not it's not a long, drawn out conversation for us.
3: And final question. Are either of you optimistic in a general sense?
5: I am. I am. Absolutely. Um, After the after the top shooting, just to see everyone come together, Mm -hmm. um, that made me feel good.
3: All right. Mia Mutri and Tamika Murphy, both with MMB Realty Group. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
6: you you for for having having us.
3: us. Great discussion. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.
1: WBFO's Arts and Culture Desk is co-sponsored by the Theodore Roosevelt inaugural site. Buffalo Toronto Public Media and the BPO presents The Chevalier, written and directed by Bill Barclay and conducted by Joanne Folletta, October 19th at 7.30. For tickets, visit bpo.org v-chevalier.
3: On Broadchurch, Hardy concludes they have a sexual predator at large in the town, someone who may strike again. Watch Broad Church tonight at 9 on WNED-PBS.
1: Support for the WBFO News Desk for Older Adults is provided by Health Foundation for Western and Central New York, an independent private foundation investing in improvements to community health with the goal of a healthy central and western New York where racial and socioeconomic equity are prioritized so all people can reach their full potential and achieve equitable health outcomes. Your NPR station. On this segment of Buffalo What's Next, we explore the role institutions play in transforming a community. Specifically, in this case, an arts institution, Community Music School, and its impact on Buffalo's east side. Nearly a century old, Community Music School stood as an Elmwood Avenue fixture for many of those years. Now, you'll find it on East Delavan, around the corner, about one mile from the Jefferson Avenue tops. School administrators say the move has been positive to this point. And that's certainly the opinion of Cheryl Jordan, a retired teacher who is now following a lifelong dream of learning to play the violin.
2: I felt like it was out of my reach, that I wasn't able to really be a part of the community school. It just, I don't know. It just, i just I just didn't feel like I would fit in. I felt like it was for a different population. That was just my thinking. So I started looking around for... And, you know,
1: that's interesting you should say that because earlier in one of my conversations with someone here, they said, you know, sometimes the music and the music school can come off as being elitist. Is that kind of what you thought?
2: Yes. Thank you for saying it that way because I didn't quite know how to word it. Um, yeah, I did have that feeling. And, I, you know, you want to fit in on some levels. I think somebody had recommended... I was, yeah, I was talking to my friend, girlfriend, and she knows Phil, and she said, "Why don't you try the community school?" And I said, "Community school." So I did, and when I called, oh my God, the warmth, the the friendliness, the affordability, I was like, "Okay, I'm in, I'm in."
1: In its mission statement, Community Music School says it's committed to providing musical public service programs to Western New York and quality music instruction for individuals of all ages and levels of ability, regardless of age, aspirations, or financial resources. Marketing coordinator Brittany Upshaw took us on a tour as we found out more. Here's
8: our children's room, so we do the children's classes in here. So we have classes for, basically from newborns to um, like adults so you have music classes for babies that they do with their parents then once they get about three or so they can do music on my own and they do it's basically like, kind of like the same kind of class they learn rhythm things like that that you need to know to when you want to go into an instrument or singing um, and they do those classes in here
1: during our tour we met with staff and adult students who shared their experiences and their talents <laughs> Mike Klein says he began taking voice lessons at CMS after he turned 60, with impressive results. He's been with the school for four years now and has observed the change since the school moved from Elmwood to the East Side.
3: I have noticed when we do have recitals, there is a more diverse population than what was at our other recitals. Okay. Uh, so I think the community is, is supporting this.
1: From Hall of Fame fiddler Phil Banizak to Carol McLaughlin, who played with Dizzy Gillespie. The school features its own diverse faculty. Hassan al-Mufti teaches the piano, which he learned to play as a young boy in Baghdad. The school was established in the late 60s by musicians from the Soviet Union.
4: The classes every day from 12 at noon till 4 o'clock. From 8 in the morning till 12 is academic, regular school. Then from 12 to 4 o'clock is music training, whether piano or choir or theory of music, whatever. Every, every day. Age of six all the way till you graduate from high school. And then there's a contract after that, after you graduate from high school, they take you to Moscow to continue your uh, education, their music education. Yeah, it was really one of a kind.
1: The Iran-Iraq War and other international developments veered Hassan al-Mafti off course. He spent six years in Jordan. In 2001, he came to the United States as a refugee and ended up in Buffalo, teaching at the Community Music School. That's quite a journey uh, (laughs) from your origins. Uh, Tell me, uh, I'm so curious about, because now you have a lot of experience here, you've had a lot of students. What about... Since moving over here onto Dullivan Avenue, what is it? Have you seen a difference in your students?
4: A A huge difference. It's because this building uh, was, you know, accommodate all all our needs. You know, uh, they built it in a way, of course, it was already existed, but the the rooms, the studios, it's all, uh, you know, meets our needs. Can you... uh, Can you teach anybody to play the the piano? Yes. I mean, the difference between us and, like, let's say uh, Juilliard, for instance, or Eastman or anywhere, we have the same standards. We have a curriculum, but we accept everyone. The art of teaching is how to get the information to the students in a certain amount of time. Of course, if it's extremely gifted and especially talented, they will get it right away. Others, it takes them time. So it's our job to understand how their brain function, how they understand things. And little by little, make them play. Is it rewarding? Yes especially when you see especially with with adults you know when they when they come to me and they say you know i always wanted to play piano but i couldn't afford it or i didn't have the time and um, is it too late for me no the answer is no it's not too late and i can make them play in 10 minutes (laughs) 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 to
1: make the school affordable to all income levels and to offer scholarships the community music school is holding a fundraiser this Friday. Again, Brittany Upshaw. So tell me, I mean, tell me about this, this event.
8: Yeah, so um, there are two international um, classical artists, so Andrea Ciccolisi and Alexander Malafive. Um They're both coming to do a duo concert. Alexander is very, very well established in classical music. Um, he's done many, many events all over, the, um, all over the world and at so many different orchestras. He was actually at the Philharmonic last year as well. So he's coming along with his friend, that's up-and-coming violinist. He's just starting to do his world tours around, so they're both coming and doing a tour and donating all the proceeds to us. So wow. yeah, the fundraiser is going towards helping our programming, helping keep funding students, because I just told you we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We help students who maybe can't afford music lessons. we discount them so that they, they can be able to afford them income.
1: Do uh, I mean? Are, do a lot of people take advantage of? that Yes, too? we
8: have so many financial aid students. Is that so right? So many, yes. Right. And now that we're moving into you know a neighborhood like you know the neighborhood and you know it kind of it's really nice to see all people from the community take advantage of those kind of things too.
1: And you are seeing that.
8: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Lots of people are taking advantage of financial aid. So the more people that we want to come, we want to have more funds that everyone who wants to learn about music can.
1: Hassan Al Mufti stresses the opportunity offered by the Friday fundraising concert
4: would expect excellence performance and this is first time for Alexander Malfoy which he's a superstar and a prodigy like uh, Andrea Chikalisa joined forces in one concert. First time ever. It's going to be here in Buffalo and under the patronage of uh, Community Music School.
2: Right here. So we're moving on down, sorry. That's Carlina funny.
8: Williams, um, she toured with um, Pink Floyd on the Dark Side of the Moon album in
3: 1975 from Buffalo.
1: Operations director Paul Wara yeah, so have, told the uh, stories behind some of the portraits hanging at the Community Music School, featuring students and faculty who've made a lasting impact. The most recent portrait is of Sarah Rogers, the faculty member who lost her life earlier this year when she was struck by a vehicle while riding her bike on South Park Avenue.
3: Watch the tutor and give every note dead on and you'll
1: see. Phil Banizek is providing a fiddle lesson to Chris Murakowski, one of the many adult students who were gracious enough to share their stories.
0: My name is Ari Daniels.
1: How long have you been a student here, Ari?
0: Um, four weeks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you are a new student.
0: yes. Um, I live um, in the, on the West Side. Okay, mm-hmm. all
1: right. What made you to decide to do this?
0: I've done music for a lot of my life, and I'll hear things, like, you know, in my head, but you can't really play all of them, like, on a flute, like a, you know, so piano, I thought might be nice to take up so I can kind of start creating some of the things that I'm experiencing and to be able to share them. I figure you're never too old to learn Ooh. something new, so I turned 30 and was like, all right, well, what what's new for me to get into that's what led me here
1: and it's interesting how you mentioned your musical ideas and is is the piano helping you bring that forward
0: absolutely again like with flute you can only play the melody you know um but with piano you can play the the melody and the harmonies and um just being able to kind of like tinker around and kind of like hear things you know yeah it's really cool
1: you've only been at it for four weeks so this might be the wrong question to ask but uh do you have a um A hero?
0: Honestly, Stevie Wonder has been like a hero of mine for as long as I can remember. And um, I was at home yesterday before my lesson and was like listening to him playing. And it just kind of gave a whole new context to, you know, his work. Um, so kind of just was like, yeah, this is great. I'm so happy I'm doing this, you know.
1: That was also the case for Stacey Snyder. She's been studying at community music school for a few years in both voice and the piano.
7: So, you know, this isn't to say I'm going to, you know, show up on Shea's stage anytime soon yeah. or anything like that. But, but... You
1: could, could you see yourself at a piano lounge or something like that playing? Maybe. Uh-huh.
7: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, hope springs eternal. You're <laughs> not shaking your head.
1: Hope springs <laughs> eternal. Very nice. Very nice. So you've been at the, uh, with the school then for five years. Mm-hmm. So you have lived through the transition from Elmwood Avenue over here to Delavan. Yep. What has that been like?
7: I, I loved the building on Elmwood. I mean, just a gorgeous building and, you know, the character and history of it. But the this new place is so much more open in physically open in that, you know, it's not an old Victorian home. And it's more accessible for people. I just think it just feels like it kind of maybe like breathed a little new life into the school.
1: That's interesting because um, just talking to some of the folks here, they are seeing people from this part of the city, this part of the community mm-hmm. coming in here. Obviously, you're doing your own lessons with your teachers, but I mean, have you kind of uh, come across that yourself? Yeah.
7: Oh, absolutely! In in um, you know just being here. Um, and in addition to lessons, I'm also uh, cataloging their music collection because I'm a librarian in my, my real life. Um, so I'm cataloging the collection. So I'm here more than just for my lessons. And so just being here, you know, walking through the lobby and, and being upstairs and stuff, I see people coming for lessons. And I do feel like I'm seeing a different demographic right. than on Elmwood.
1: And what do you think that could mean for community
7: oh music education is amazing and it's it studies have shown that it that playing music can enhance so many other parts of your life like mathematics for example um and learning to read music is and i this is just my feeling of it is a little bit like learning another language and so I, i I don't see anything bad coming from being exposed to music in any way.
1: Cheryl Jordan shares that view. The first-year violin student under Phil Bannazek has the big dream of one day playing with the BPO.
2: It's so important. It is so important because there are so many people of color that are so talented, so talented. And I think they really would like to be engaged in a uh, in a building like this, but sometimes I think they feel like it's not affordable, but you, they will work with you. They will work with you here in this building if you feel like you need help, because it's a non-profit, it's a non-for-profit organization. and um, So people need to know that you can follow your dream and you can take lessons. So I I really want to get it out there. But I'm so proud of myself. um, And I never knew that there were other people of color that played the violin. But Phil started telling me about that, uh, you know, there were. And then I did my research. And I was like, whoa, there are a lot of people that look like me that play the violin. Is that right? Uh, Yes, it is. You know what? There's this one gentleman, and I cannot remember his name, but he plays... Classical, but he also plays hip hop. He plays rap music on. You should see this. Oh, this he guy plays hip hop on he, a violin. Yes, you can do so much with that. You can do so much with that. That's why I'm so intrigued by the violin. Four strings, and just with the manipulation of your fingers going up and down that string, you can make all kinds of notes and melodies. When we met, Cheryl
1: Jordan said she had a lot to say. She didn't disappoint. A resident of the William Jefferson neighborhood, she admits she's not comfortable visiting the Jefferson Avenue tops where 10 black people were killed on May 14th. She says that's the view of many of her friends and neighbors. Trust needs to be restored. Do you find any healing in playing your music and practicing your music? Does it help?
2: Practicing my music is comforting. Um, as, far, as far as healing the issues of racism or systemic racism, it's going to take more than playing a violin. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Um, the door is opening with, so maybe I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but the door is opening a little bit with feeling that, because I know that all people are not like that. Um, but it does help to know that I could come here with a diverse population and I am, um, and this is to me kind of stinky to say or horrible to say that I'm accepted. Why, why do I have to even use those words, that I'm accepted and, and I matter? But that's the arena that we're, we're, we're struggling in, you know, to, to sometimes be accepted. And I don't like that. And I certainly don't like that word tolerate. Don't ever talk to me about tolerance. I hate that word tolerance. As if you know, I'm some kind of uh, creature that you know you have to readjust your mind so that you can tolerate me. What about me tolerating you? It goes both ways. It goes both ways. So, um, but my 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 studying and playing my violin. It is healing for me, and it is beautiful for me, but it's something else. It's something else, yeah. So, yeah. Maybe
1: when you're on that stage at the BPO, Ooh. maybe that'll be different then. I'll say, yeah, see, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, see,
2: yeah, that'll, be- <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh-huh, yeah, right. You didn't think it, did you? You didn't think that, mm-hmm. We know, we know, we know how to do this, too. So, <laughs> yeah, that's where it'll, you, there you go. So now I'm even more motivated. I got this. All right. And I'll be sure to send you an invitation. <laughs> Remember when? <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> Cheryl,
1: thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It was fun talking to you.
1: And a special thanks to the Community Music School for opening its doors to Buffalo What's Next. We'll finish with these words, also from their mission statement. The professional faculty and administrative staff, together with the volunteers, believe that anyone who has genuine interest in music can benefit from study and deserves the opportunity to pursue it. That pursuit, now for the Community Music School heading toward its 100th year, is taking place on Buffalo's east side. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. And a special thanks to the Community Music School for appearing with us and allowing us into their facility on East Delavan. Also earlier, Dave Debo talking with Mia Mutri and Tamika Collins of the MMB Realty Group. This is Buffalo What's Next. We're back with you again tomorrow at 10 with our Producers Picks show. And this is member-supported WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Oleon and WUBJ Jamestown.
8: A winter wave is coming, but less than 4% of Americans have gotten updated boosters. What gives? From WAMU and NPR in Washington, this is 1A.